Welcome to the Everyday Sniper. You got Frank from Sniper's Hide. And I'm in my tiny little window here to bring you guys a podcast. There's a lot of stuff going on, but I've been like completely MIA. And as it is, like tomorrow I start classes and then I travel to Price, Utah. And I just got back from Gunsight after just getting back from New Mexico with Brian Whalen. After just getting back from Texas while moving and all this. So our very first podcast in the new place, I have Team AI shooter Jonathan Roberts on the phone who just come off of his win with the NRL Hunter series. He shot the Colin Fossen uh, Laramie match. So we're going to talk to him about the Hunter series because there's a lot of really good stuff happening with the NRL Hunter series. We want to get caught up with Team AI because I've been hanging out with them a whole bunch. We did the ATX not too long ago and then the ASR at Gunsight. So, Jonathan, welcome to the Everyday Sniper Podcast. Great to have you on. Hey, Frank. It's great to be here. How have you been? Uh, crazy, other than I'm, I finally got furniture. It took me like 15 <laughs> days to get furniture. So, I was living back in the old house, but my services were all moved to the new house. But nothing was set up, so I've been sitting in like a internet black hole, and I think I turned my computer on to my email for the first time and have like 1500 emails and a lot of people, <laughs> dude, a lot of people yelling at me like, where you been? I hate you. You're not answering me. And I'm like, sorry, dude, you can hate me all you want, but it's your fault. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you've got a lot going on, bud. <laughs> yeah, really, really. But, um, let's go back in time for people. I'll have to clean up some of your rain. Cause you are kind of rainy out there. You had a storm almost, uh, like blocked you, huh? <laughs> yeah, we've got a, uh, a thunderstorm coming through here in Virginia, and it's it's pretty wicked. N- nice. It's pretty bad. And knock, knock some trees down on the road over you, huh? Yeah, I had one in front of me and one behind me. We had to get out with some chainsaws and some guys. We just kind of pulled them off the road and got them cut up so we could get through and get home. That was about our only option. So. <laughs> nice, nice. So you came out here around January when we did the ATX stuff. And I'm looking at you and, 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 you know, it's like you hear names and stuff and, and, and John Roberts is pretty common name and then Jr. and all that. So I don't put two and two together, but I'm looking at you and I'm like, weren't you down at rifles only with us a long time ago? And it was like almost a hundred years ago. You actually were a student at rifles yep. only when I worked there. I came down there, it was probably, it was a sniper's hide class, so you might be better at telling me the year, maybe 08, somewhere in there, 09? Yeah, probably the 08, 09s, I mean, that that's that's about right, I mean, who knows, we, we called them all different yeah, names. Somewhere, somewhere in that area, uh, I came down there and did a sniper's hide class with you and uh, Jacob, and uh, man, that was my first uh, introduction into precision rifle. Nice. You were my my very first instructor. There you go. There you go. So it, it's it's it. Like I said, it, it's a, such a blur sometimes, but it's awesome to see you have now progressed. You're in the competition world. You're shooting for Team AI, and 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 just lighting it up, man. You're all over the place, and now you're working. Actually, to let people know, you shot the ATX in the Hunter class. Over there, and so I mean, the crossover possibilities of this rifle is crazy. 
Yeah, this rifle will go anywhere from uh, a, a hunter level uh, weight class all the way to shooting EOR, as you guys saw this past week as well. So it's it's got a lot of possibilities. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like base base weight on this is 13 pounds without the weight system or anything. So you can get in the door at that 13 pound. What was your sort of scoped and ready to go weight for your rifle system? My rifle system was 16.0 pounds when we weighed it at the match. Nice. So I, I was right on the weight limit. <laughs> Uh, there were a couple of things that I could have taken off, like scope caps and the little uh, plastic piece on the buttstock for your hand. Um, I could have lost a few things, but yeah, it came in right at 16 pounds. That's what I was shooting for because I didn't think I could get to the 12 pound mark. So I wanted to be kind of as close to the 16 as I could. Yeah, because it's like 12 point something, just the barreled action. So putting the scope on it and all that would have kind of taken you out of the ballpark uh, for sure. But I mean, and then like you, you said, I just come back from gun sight. We were shooting ELR and Scott brought his in 6.5 PRC and he had Mm -hmm. the complete weight system on it. I jumped on his gun to shoot it one time coming off the ASR in 300 Norma and then shooting the ATX with the weight system. I, I was like shooting a 22, man. I was like, what is this? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't move. And shooting a mile. It's not. So it's, it's really, uh, it's really a versatile system. That's for sure. It really is. It really is. So now kind of to, to let everybody know, because Team AI, you guys have the AI Long Range Classic down at Altus. That's an uh-huh. AI sponsored. That's sort of PRS-ish. And you guys are all located on the East Coast, which is in the center of sort of the PRS world. But I know, you know, you've played that game and now with the new rifle and everything, you guys are branching out and going to these hunter matches, field matches, and and you're kind of looking to serve the AI as it was intended to be out in the field running and gunning and just be that workhorse rifle. So that's exactly what we're doing this year. Um, we've all played the PRS game, and it's great. Uh, it, does, it serves its purpose. Um, but when we came out with this new rifle, it had so many different possibilities. You know, it was so versatile, you could set it up to do whatever you wanted to do. And that was one of the conversations we had early this year about the goals of the team this year. And it was to branch out to these different series. The Hunter series was becoming a thing this year, and I was super interested in that. I'm also going to go shoot some competition dynamic stuff. Uh, they're one in December, I believe they have. I'm going to go shoot. Um, and then alongside the PRS stuff, you know, NRL, regular NRL stuff. Um, and then ELR as well. So we're going to be out there for Scott Satterley's ELR match shooting these guns as well. So it's a, that's exactly what we wanted to do was kind of take the AI system and uh, showcase all of the possibilities for it. That's crazy. I mean, you, you jump in with the PRC and it, and it works. And, you know, then you, you got the short actions and the sixes for all that. But what did you, what cal did you shoot for the hunter? So I, I had a 6.5 Creedmoor light palma barrel made up for that gun. And um, I had a couple of 
I wanted to try to balance the gun with just the barrel. And I ended up settling on a 27-inch barrel. And the way that that kind of worked out, the balance point was right in front of that magwell about five, six inches. And it worked out really, really well. Even in a 16-pound configuration, shooting it off a bag, I could still spot my trace in my shots. Even, you know, shooting off a tripod in a bag or prone, that barrel being that close to the bag and that straight recoil impulse, shooting a 6.5, not a dasher, and I was shooting it at 2850 uh, feet per second. So I was well over the power factor. Um, I had no problem spotting my impacts and my misses, everything. I watched Trace all weekend out there in Wyoming. Nice. And, and, and the, like, fill everybody in. It's, it's sort of a find it, range it, engage it. Give them the background of how the Hunter series, as far as you understand it, is operating and what you were looking to do to fall within the rules that they had going on now. So I actually have to give Phil Vallejo a little bit of credit here. Um, I did, couldn't really get much information about what was going on, what to expect. And he started like a week or two before I went out there after the California. He started to put out these videos and they helped tremendous. So it was, it really gave me a, a better idea of what to expect. Uh, the way it works is, or at least the match that I shot the way it worked was they tell you how many targets and what shape they are and then how many positions you're going to have to engage them from. And that's all the information you get. Until you go, until it's your time, until your time starts. And then you move to a marker. And in our case, it was a stake in the ground. And from that stake, they'll give you a left and right limit. And that's where your targets are. Your first target that you, you get, engage all of your targets from left to right. And your first target will have an orange placard with the stage number somewhere near it. So that's the one that you always look for first. And once you find that guy, all of the other targets, whether there be one more or three more, are to the right of that target somewhere within your left and right limits. So you basically go up and you have to find all of your targets and then shoot them from either one position, two positions, or four positions is what it ended up being at the Wyoming match. Nice. So he, so kind of a competition dynamics, find it with the, with yep. the limits, but they're giving yep. you sort of a clue. They, they almost, I think that that was the way it was intended. And maybe some of the earlier matches didn't do that. I'm not sure I wasn't there, but they, it's sort of to keep the targets in order. So they want you to engage them left to right. If you don't know which one's the first target, it's hard to do that. You know, if you find target two and think it's target one, everybody gets confused. It's really kind of a, a shit show. Yeah. And uh, the way they did this, it was very, it wasn't confusing at all. I found it very straightforward. The targets were, you know, even though there was an orange placard next to some of them, they were still hard to find. You know, it wasn't like it was easy to find. Um, it was, it was a really challenging course of fire. I. I think I got more out of this match than I have in a, out of a match in a very, very long time. Nice. And, and you know, when we went to Gunsight, and, and we'll talk a little bit with Scott, Gunsight on the last day is a find it, range it, engage it. They hide the targets. They're camouflaged. They're in a shadow. They're, uh, they're just, uh, you know, 
uh, most of them are uh, 18 by 24 francs, they call them. They're just Ipsics. Yep. But I was looking at that because, you know, we're, we were going through and looking at these targets, and I'm going, damn, these are all hidden, and they're hard. And I know where mm-hmm. the, I know where a lot of them are because this is my fifth gun site trip to do this class. I mean, I mm-hmm. literally can go, not that I can right now, but – if I went and found my old data book and I have it, it's put away in my garage back at the other house. Um, it has all the targets marked already. And a lot of them have only moved minor. You know what I mean? Some move, some move more than others. But the idea of finding the orange placard and looking over in terms of competition and speed, but still sticking within the spirit, I think that's a genius move on their part. I found it. I found it to be really straightforward. Um, I got a little bit of uh, feedback from some guys that had shot some matches before. I guess there's been maybe three other ones, and they said that this format, the way they did it, was a lot friendlier. Uh, it it wasn't sort of you just go up here and look that way, and there's targets out there. Good luck. Right. You know, they tried to make it more. They're trying to draw in the actual hunter crowd, not the competition shooter. So to just bring in, you know, guys who've never competed in a rifle match and throwing them to the wolves, basically saying there's targets out there, good luck, is really not the way to do it. You know, this gave them at least a starting point, and which still didn't make it easy. <laughs> you know, don't think it was still easy, but it gave them a starting point. And right. I think it really helped a lot of guys. No, that's super smart, it. man. I mean, that's all. And, and just to go uh, – the match you ran was the um the Buffalo Bills, and that was Colin Fossen yep. uh, yep. here in Lammer, uh, Laramie. And just a fun fact with Colin Fossen, because this came up. This was used as a, you know, I, I would say fuck Frank, but I could say fuck Frank. This was used as a fuck Frank years ago. So I did one of the matches, and I think it was the last match in Douglas. And mm-hmm. I gave away seven rifles. Top woman, top lady got a rifle. The worst, the worst guy who shot every stage. If you if you came in last place but didn't DQ anything, you shot every stage but came in last place. I gave him a twenty two trainer, and somebody yelled at me. I won't say who Rick Reeves, but somebody yelled at me for giving a 65 Creedmoor to an undeserving 50th place shooter who just happened to be the top 308. I gave the top 308 guy at the time and this goes back to like 1415 a 65 Creedmoor. The top 308 guy happened to be shooting a savage 308 and to this day still competes with that 65 Creedmoor he won at my match. Because he was a 50th place undeserving guy. And his name happened to have been Colin Fossen. <laughs> so, That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, think about how this comes around. We're going back like six, eight years ago. I was totally yelled at for giving, for spreading the love and giving seven rifles away in a variety of ways. I mixed it up throughout the field. Last place, ladies, 50th place, all these different things. And to this day, that guy is still working these competitions. And I remember when I when, when I was kind of like, 
it was during the Jersey letter shit, so I get it. They're mad at me. But, uh, yeah, some, <laughs> somebody made an issue of me giving a 50th place rifle, but look how it paid back. It, it definitely has. He's doing a great job, uh, and he's definitely – he loves what he does. He loves these rifle matches, and he's a big hunter and a big sportsman, and he did he knocked it right out of the park with this match. Yeah, and I, the week before the match, I saw him uh, when I was – actually, I think I was picking up the stuff for AI for Gunsight. He was at Mile High, and I said hi to him and, and just saw him for a minute. But Colin is doing such great work out there. He does fantastic stuff. The Wyoming crew, you mentioned Phil, you got Pete up there working with Phil, you got Colin down closer to us in Colorado here, he's, he's in Cheyenne area. I mean, this crew is doing just great stuff competition-wise. Yep, they sure are. I, um, I really enjoyed this, the Hunter format as well. And, you know, the find it, range, and engage it, I think is taking us back to where we should be as far as shooting and competing with these rifles. Um, it's definitely a, a skill that we've lost in a lot of our modern competition. So, and it, it shows, you know what, you know, you get to look at a lot of the scores and stuff like that. And you even see competitors that are coming over from the PRS side that don't do nearly as well as they do over on the PRS side. But then you see guys who are hunters and, you know, military guys who just crush this sort of stuff. You know, they're, that's what they do. They know how to run their equipment, and they know how to make it work. I did see, I think it was this match. Wasn't there a guy with, like, a, um open sight hunting? <laughs> Wasn't there some guy who showed up with one? There was a guy with one of those, uh, what's it, a K95 Swiss, the straight pull 6.5 uh, rifle, the old school one, from yep. like World War II. Yeah, yeah. There there was a dude that showed up with one of those. See? No range finder. Like, there's some pictures floating around of him, and he just rocked it. Like, he went up there and just shot at the targets he could see. Nice. I mean, I mean but you know what? Who would ever have the guts to show up at a PRS match like that? Bingo. Right? And, 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 this, yep. and, and that's what it's coming down to is how, I mean, let's face it. Grow the sport is bullshit. It's politics. There's no interest in growing the sport. There's only interest in growing each other's wallets, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and how you do this is exactly what's going on. Can you get the man in the street to walk out? You know, walk out his door and into yours. Yep. That run. There were a lot of guys that showed up to this match with like legitimate hunting rifles, like Browning Able, and you know their Remington seven hundred thirty out six. There were a bunch of guys that showed up with the gun that they take to the field when they go hunt deer, and I thought that was super cool. I mean, I was shooting a in this aspect a full on race gun. You know, like, right. But, you know, I mean, in, in comparison, but there were there were definitely guys that they showed up with what they had. They run what they brought, and it was awesome to watch these guys come out. You know, with ski poles and engage these four and five hundred yard targets, and they hit targets, and they were super happy. Those guys will definitely be back to a match. Well, and and they're going to learn from the mix-in of competitors like you and the guys who do cross over who understand maybe maybe the the calibers and the wind a little bit better. Maybe your wind your wind strategy 
is quicker and easier to understand than it becoming this big mystery. You're like, oh, dude, I got a 6.5 on point six here. It's doing this. It's doing that. I'm just bracketing the target right in this spot, and boom, I hit it with 1.2. And it's like, whoa, what did you just do? And it's like, well, it was a 12-mile-an-hour wind. I was at 600 yards. I held 1.2, and it hit. You know, and it's like, and for the guys to see that in practice can only help. Yep. I couldn't agree more. I actually went a little bit more or less old school for this match. I went back to an arm board that I haven't ran in years. <laughs> but it worked superb. There's a reason why we used to run arm boards down at Rifles Only when we were running the you know, the culvert course and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Because it, it flat out worked. And it doesn't and get in the way. It doesn't get in the way and it's always available. And I ran, I just ran tape on the top of my arm board with a hard data sheet with uh, a wind. Uh, I had a nine o'clock wind, uh, 10 mile an hour wind. And I just extrapolated everything from that, you know, whatever the wind was at the time and broke my ranges down as I ranged them on my arm board and then referenced it as I went through the course of fire. And it worked perfect. Nice. You know, this is, that's something I haven't done in years. It was a skill that, you know, we used to use every time we went shooting. And now it's it's just a little bit lost. I thought it was kind of cool to resurrect my old arm board, which I haven't used in, <laughs> I can't even tell you how long. Nice. It's funny, too, because, like, when we went to Gunsight with Scott and everything, and I ran, like, the, especially the last days and stuff with the Terrapin X, and I ran the Garmin. And I had my Kestrel as a backup, and I had the Hornaday that we were, we were tracking both Hornaday because John Snow and Tom Beckstrand were running Hornaday. And uh, Scott and I, actually, Scott and I both ran both. Um, I, tend, I tended to run my AB and then just check my Hornaday to see what was going on. But with, um, with the Garmin, I'm using my Garmin like an arm bar. And it's like, boom, I hit the target, I flip my wrist, and it's and, and if you look at the picture Scott took in the Arizona sunlight, the Garmin only looks better. Really? Uh, the, it gets brighter. You could see the numbers and letters better. Like, the brighter the sun is, the easier it is to read um, as you're going out. And, and mine, I set it up, it was flawless. Pop it with the laser, flip my wrist, I'm done. You know, if I had to double check or something in... Don't get me wrong. We made range cards. We wrote stuff down. I'm collecting data. I'm, I'm going and giving my initials and my differences. So anytime there was a differences, I wrote down. But like test-wise, on the last day, all I had to do was hit it with my my Vectronics and flip my wrist to my Garmin, and I know I was good to go. Really, that's interesting. I'm gonna have to get one of those. <laughs> right? That I sounds mean, like that might work really well. <laughs> but don't get me wrong, the paper backup is still money. But if you wanted yeah. to run real time stuff where you're not kind of using, you know, DA charts or paper backup, that Garmin it, it, it's 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 a laser around your neck and your Garmin and you're done. I th I think that's a hunter's dream right there. Yeah, you know, just just to go out with that on your wrist and have your laser, and you'd be able to laser anything you want to and make that shot. I think that's a great solution. And it totally worked because they hid so many targets, and it's you know it's interesting to see 
What are you missing? Because, I mean, we're shooting ELR. So I'm triple checking ranges because I know Corey and Walt are putting certain things in the laser's path. Not every target, maybe one out of the four, like there was blocks of three and four, sometimes blocks of five. There would always be that one, uh, not quite right. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm ranging something, I'm triple checking it. I'm hitting the target. I'm hitting the ground in front of the target. I'm hitting whatever they got behind the target. Then I'm hitting stuff alongside the target to make sure I'm not going past it and hitting the bushes behind it. Cause there was one, we were all calling like, um, like 1330 or something. And it ended up being like 1281. Every one of mm -hmm. us called it 1330. You know, and it, it's stuff like that. You gotta, you gotta watch. That's exactly the the ranging strategy that I used for the hunter match. So I would range just about anything that I could see in or around that target, including the target, but to get a reference point. So that if I knew that a bush was in front of it, I'd range that bush and get a shorter range. And then when I ranged above the bush to hit the target, I got a longer range. So I knew I was actually hitting the target, and not the bush in front of it. Yeah. And the same thing with ranging, you know, the T post. So you range where it goes into the ground instead of the actual plate. Um, little tricks like that really help to get an accurate range. And, and totally. I mean, a tenth off on some of the ELR stuff and you're nuked. You know, you don't have yeah. the danger space of, and even with animals, like you don't have the elevation danger space they do with people, but they have a windage danger space, but then you don't want to wreck them. You know what I mean? You, you, it's like, ah, I don't want to play the wind card on them, but they're yeah, that's, it, that's exactly what we were shooting at out there was animal targets. So that's what exactly what we had. We had to have an accurate range because you only had on some targets, maybe a 10th or two to play with elevation wise. So your range at, you know, past four or 500, it had to be pretty close. And, uh, but we did have a lot of wind, you know, danger space there because there were coyotes or bears or something to that deer and things of that nature that were, you know, you had a little bit more. Yeah. And, and so you're just touching steel. So it doesn't matter if you hit him in the it. tail. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> for, for these purposes, yes. It didn't really matter. Right, right. Which, hey, hey man, that's the game. And, and, and it's the only way to test. So you, you deal with it. So that's exactly what I took away from this match is that it was a fantastic test of your equipment. Properly, or you knew how to run it. One or the other it tested all of the above. And I, I basically set my kid up for how I would run it at home if I was going to go hunting because I didn't have any uh, frame of reference other than Phil's videos of what people were running. So I just did what I knew. And that actually worked out really well because there was nothing that I he wasn't familiar with. I took all the tools that I normally use when I go hunting groundhogs or prairie dogs or deer or whatever and just put it to work shooting steel. And it worked out really well. Nice. And, and that's what you, I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. It, it's, does the skill translate to a practical application or does your practical experience hunting 
translate to this competition? And clearly the answer I'm getting from you is yes, that these skills both translated in the door and gave you something to take out back home. I think so. It's probably the best test of a practical rifle skill that I've, I've come across yet. Um, outside of maybe the, the old days at rifles only where we were kind of running around and doing a lot of, you know, train like you fight type of stuff. Um, this is really a, a hunter's dream. You know, if you want to come out and see how good of a shot you really are, I think this is the place to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, did uh Saturday show up on, and work the match too, or did not really just Colin ran it and, and that was it. No, Scott shot the match. Oh, nice. So he he was there, and he actually he shot a wind mag. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> he, he came and ran a wind mag all weekend, and uh, he did very well. He shot, I want to say, open light with a wind mag. Okay. A 12-pound wind mag. What, what, if I'm not, don't, don't quote me on that, but I believe it was. What do they have? They have a um, they have a light and heavy gun. I, I know I've talked with him, and it's been on before, and we had Scott on the podcast, and you can hear that. But what if they have light and heavy in just two divisions in, in those kind of deals? Yeah, they have an open heavy, which is 16 pounds and, uh, and under. And then they have an open light, which is 12. And then they also have a factory division. So it's any stock factory gun. They have an approved list also. And it's basically out of the box. You can't do anything to it. Uh, but it also has to be under 12 pounds. Gotcha. To make that factory division. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I saw, um, and, and th- I mean, if they have a list of all that and everything's there and it's factory guns and how you go, the only thing I would say to anybody doing stuff like that is never, ever put a dollar figure on your rifles for your lesser divisions because once you put a dollar figure on it, you basically set that as the bottom and nobody with yep. anything lesser can will ever come in the door. So if you do that, hey, man, this is a factory gun division. Here's our approved list of factory guns, and you run it as you brung it, you know, you bought it. I mean, you, there's no complaints to be had. No, and they have everything from, you know, four or $500 Tikas on there to three, I think there's like an $8,000 Christensen Arms or Gunworks or something that's also approved. So it, it runs the gambit. There is no dollar amount. But it's you. You cannot change it from how you bought it. Got it. So there's no. You can't bet it. You can't put a new trigger in it. You can't do anything to it. Which is fine. I mean, that's how a lot of guys who operate and they hunt with that, and they buy it, they go, they shoot it, they hit their animal, they they put it away till next year. You know, so it makes perfect sense. Yep. And I think I don't quote me on this either, but I believe how they came up with it is it had to. The manufacturer had to make X amount of rifles a year to qualify for factory division. So a, a, a just a gun maker or a custom rifle builder couldn't get into that. Yeah, they don't make enough. They're, they're they're eliminating the problems of of the finale and in the production stuff when you know. Uh, when Ruger, you know, they make their gun the week before and say, oh, we got a skew. <laughs> so yeah. they're avoiding that, which I just read, and not to get too deep, but since it's it's a little early here, I, I read there was some stuff because some of the juniors are now in, in the NRL proper are eclipsing the, the open people. And I guess there was some 
you know, overlooked and, and wait a minute, this junior scored higher than these open people, but the open one, because they, they, they always divided juniors in the past. And now really? that, yeah, I guess I didn't realize this, but it makes perfect sense. Juniors were their own entity and they allowed you to coach a junior if you wanted to. Um, okay. And so they considered that the, the, the sort of, the disqualification from open, but now, like I guess, with with Sam, Jake, Allison, and those guys, um, you're seeing these young kids are trending right alongside the open people, but then they kind of got trapped in the junior division. So it wasn't ugly, but it was a question of why are the juniors trapped in the jun- junior division. And I get it, but now that it's been recognized, hey man, just knock the wall down. We it doesn't have to be there. And I I don't see it as an ugly kind of bait and switch situation that happened with the the PRS production rifles and things like that. I I look at it as more just a progression of how good the kids are getting. Oh, it's it's not going to take long for these kids. I mean, just think about how good your eyesight and your reflexes were when you were that age. And now they these kids have been shooting since they were six, eight, ten years old, and they're getting to that 16, 18, 20-year-old range. They're going to be unbeatable. <laughs> Not just good. They're going to be unreal. Allison, I've watched Allison shoot for the last few years, and she's excellent right now. But you give her another year or two, and she may not lose very many matches. If she stays on the, the same path she's on and how she's practicing and progressing, it may be really tough for anybody in PRS or otherwise to beat her. They'll, 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 they'll come up with a new rifle and caliber to beat her, watch. They'll, they'll, they'll figure, <laughs> they're going to need something. Right, they'll figure it's out to something to, beat, to, 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 to kind of tip the scales for sure. Um, but yeah, so I just read that and that there was some drama going on, but it wasn't real drama. It was more a point of order and inquiry and how do we make this better next time? But to me, that's, that's the, that's fine. It's like, if you recognize there's an issue in hindsight, fix it. Don't just go, oh, well, that's how it is. I don't worry about it and we'll get it next time. Just address it, fix it. Say, look, everybody, we see this. This was the original intent. The original intent was to allow kids to be coached. Now we see that there's a certain element of kids that don't need to be coached on the clock. You know what I mean? And and they they progressed past that. Right. But they're still in junior division because they're under 18. And and so it's got it's got to get blended now because they are smoking the adults. And, And you're absolutely right. Their, their reflexes are better. Everything is just better. I, I remember the focus that I put on to sports back then, and it was, it was life. You know, you didn't, have a, you didn't have a job. You didn't have a family. You didn't have all these other obligations when you were, you know, in that teenage range. And your life was football or baseball or whatever your sport was. Well, now these kids, their life is shooting and it shows <laughs> they are really, really good. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I watched the videos and stuff, and 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 it was it was funny too. I watched one um when we were down in Gunsight. It was like Phil shooting alongside Allison or something. There was like a, a mm-hmm. above and a below, 
and and he was like a second behind her or something, whatever the time was. And and I it, watched that video. It was it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. And she she ends up a full shot ahead of him by the time they by the time the video is over by the time they're done with the stage. And Phil's quick. You know, like, it's not like Phil is slow. Phil's very quick. She's just methodical, man. She's just like, she's there and method. And and I'm noticing that it's, it's, you know, we always like, you talk to rifles only stuff. We were always hustling and moving. These guys are moving, but with such purpose and it's, that doesn't look like, I mean, their heartbeat never goes over 72. Phil or her. Yeah, exactly. So I, I've been, I've done nothing but PRS for probably the last four or five years. And I've sort of wanted to branch out and do something different just because I remember the old days, I guess, as we could say it now of how the matches used to be. So that's where like the hunter and the competition dynamics sort of came into play. And I thought it was very interesting how now all the stages in the hunter match are blind. So there's no planning it. And that's what I've been doing for the last five years. I stand there and I look at a stage and I plan out every movement where I'm going to put my bag, where my gun's going to go, what my next movement is, how I'm going to get in and out of every position. Now I can't do that. I have to do it on the fly. So I have to get up there and come up with something as I'm doing it. There's no planning involved. It's all more or less instinct. And I really enjoyed that. You know, not having to be a machine per se, because that's what it's come down to. If you're not moving like Allison is in that video or another one that the first guy that I saw do it is Dave Preston. He's a machine. He looks like he's going so slow, but he's going so fast because there's zero wasted movement. And if you can't do that, you're not competitive with those guys. But having to come up with a a firing position on the fly, I really enjoyed. It was just something different. You know, it had more real-world application because in a, a firefight or hunting an animal, you don't get to go through that and rehearse it. You have to get up there and do it right now. Yeah, and so it, it was it, – go ahead. It, it was very – that's what I found really appealing about it is that it had a real-world application for me. It was practicing for a hunt later this year, more or less. They, you know, I see a deer come out. I've got to build a position right now, figure out how far away he is, and engage it. And that's where this sort of stuff comes into play, the real-world application of it. Nice. I mean, that's – and it, it goes back to kind of what Jacob was saying where, you, you know, that the, the PRS turned into studying for a test. You know, you know what you're going to be uh, faced with so you can study it. You can practice that test. And then when you go up, every stage is just a copy of the test. Well, you know, PR, it's exactly that. Uh, the stuff that's come out of the PRS shooting over the last five to ten years has just been amazing. You know, it amazes me every time I go to a PRS match what these guns are capable of. They're capable of hitting tiny, tiny targets really far away every single time. It's not if I, I hope I hit that target. You know you're going to hit this tiny little target at eight, 900 yards every time. It's no big deal, and you're shooting it off a bag at that. <laughs> you know, you're shooting it off of a tire, or you're shooting it off of any number of different things. So these PRS matches have made these guys superior shooters. They are superior trigger pullers. If 
you can take a mid-level PRS shooter now and put them back in 2007 and 2008. They'd be unbeatable at any match they went to. Because they With the same gun, though. <laughs> Change same, the- even, you give them the same gun, oh. but they're even, a, even in a lightweight configuration, they're just superior trigger pullers because that's what they had to get good at. They're, they're good at making that gun balanced on a bag and pressing that trigger, and they're excellent at it. But it doesn't translate to a real-world application very well. It's perfect for the game that they're doing, but when you have to do it with a light gun, it's a whole different ball game. And if you have to do it on the fly and you don't get to practice and visualize that entire stage all the way through, you've got to make it up as you go along, it doesn't work that good. So it's a a lot of good things have come out of PRS, but I think they've also it's gone a little bit too far to the to the out of bounds of what's actually practical as you know in shooting a rifle. Yeah, they showed. Oh, uh, did you see Tyler Payne's video? It, it, him just friggin' free recoiling the, the thing completely. It's sitting on the. <laughs> yeah. It's sitting on a railing. And it's pointed at an eight hundred yard target, and he center punches it like it doesn't get any better. Yeah. And, and all he does is just, he manipulates the trigger. He's not touching anything else. It's, yep. it's kind of like yep. what I do on the tripods in the videos, but he's doing it laying on a railing. Yep, that's what these guns and bags are capable of nowadays. You know, it's, it's, it's really unreal what they're, what they're capable of. And back in, you know, 07, 08, whatever, I, you wouldn't even thought it was possible. You know, now it's, I can't believe I didn't hit the center of that target. I just called an edge. You know, it's unreal. <laughs> well, that's because we made you climb up and down culverts and run 300 <laughs> yards. You, you were out of breath. And when you, a little heavy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so it's, so it's a little harder to kind of time that for 12 pound rifle versus the 22 pound one, you know? I, I would, I would, I'm going to go back down and shoot, uh, at Jacobs here very soon, and I'm going to take my 16-pound gun with me. There you and go. I think that's what I want to run down there, and just to kind of give it a try and see what it'll do. His next one's actually the Battle of Cayo up here in Fort Collins. He's doing that sort of a laboratory match, and I guess there's some pretty good prize money he's giving away, but it's a tiny field right now. If anybody wants like a risk at some good money, I know I know his signups have been pretty light because he, he's only kind of moderately talked about it. As, as this was a, an extension of Assassin's Way. But, yeah, I mean, he's he's got that Battle of Coyote happening in June uh, right here in, in uh, Fort Collins by uh, that Horse Tooth Reservoir. It's a nice area. And uh, a lot of hills, a lot of stuff. And, and so for guys listening, man, um, get a hold of rifles only. There's there's kind of some low-hanging fruit for some pretty high prize money. I think it's in the five grand zone. Um, really? Yeah, I think wow. it is. I think it's up there in the five, uh, like, you know, first place is like five grand. And um, so there's only a handful of people that are going to it right now, is my understanding. And and I know he, he's looking for others to show up because he's, he's, he's trying to proof a concept certain things, but he's doing it as part of a competition with some prize value uh, to it. And, and so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's happening out west, you know. I I couldn't agree more. I think that they're they're doing a lot of good things out west. Um, we need to bring some of that out east. <laughs> <laughs> right. I need some of that closer to home, so I don't have to fly across the country. 
I'm telling you. Uh, and speaking of, let's take the last couple of minutes. We'll talk all our gun site trip, seeing how um with the with the ASR stuff, because that was the gun site trip was a makeup from last year, because the SRs were supposed to come out, or I guess they are out, and the SRs they are the extension of the ASR, which replaced the AXMC. So if you guys, if you guys are keeping up, um, so I happen to get one of the um, I, I think just my barrel was a contract barrel. I had one of Scott's barrels that's marked up from the contracts. Yep. And then um, you had you had an ASR barrel. Yeah. On an AXSR. No, I had an ASR too. My rifle was an A. Oh, okay. I, I had an ASR rifle with one of the contract barrels. I don't think my rifle was a contract rifle but i do i know the barrel was because it's marked what what color was it it's the tan um and it's got the uh it's got the uh the liquid friggin paper marking 2a on it and tells you what oh no that that was a contract gun yeah yeah you had a you had a a contract gun (laughs) yeah it's still here it's sitting in my car right now um that's a that's a that's a gem right there. Take good care of her. Yeah, yeah, oh, dude, she <laughs> she shot amazing. So I I show up and 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 I picked up the rifle like the day before. I'm putting my scope on it. Um, I put a Schmidt five to forty five on it, and so I take it down there and I don't even zero it up because they're gonna scope test and do a bunch of stuff anyway. So it's not mm-hmm. even worth putting it together. But my first group right out of the gate is is like a no bullshit half minute. Um, so Scott's already thrilled. We're shooting just a factory Black Hills 215 grain, 300 Norma. Uh, yep. uh, and, and, and it's just, it's lights out. Uh, my numbers, I, I, we chronographed it to 2995 with a 215 burger. At my mm-hmm. ending velocity, when it was all said and done out to distance, ended up being like 3050 is what the comu- yep. computer wanted. And I mean, I, when we shot the shot marker on paper, we shot 500 yard or it's meter actually 500 because we're on the HK range and it's in meters over there. So we did 500, a thousand and then 1500, but five and a thousand were on the shot marker on paper. And we got like 14 mile an hour winds going on. It's like 14 to 20 gusting. It's all, it's, it was weird weather at gunsight. And I shot a half minute. Uh, 0.69 at 500 and a 1.2 at a thousand in those wins. And it's like, how do you beat this from a factory gun with factory ammo? I mean, it's not like it was some, you know, tricked out thing. It, 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 I put it together. It's like, here, this is the one you're going to use. Okay. Which one's this? I don't know. I don't know. Put your scope on it. Okay. Hey, I think that's Scott's barrel. No, I, cause Scott's telling me that's his barrel. You know, it's like, yep. you know, we, we, it was Lego gun. Do you know what I mean? We're going to put these together to take the gun sight. And, and let me tell you what, Frank, they all run like that. You can take all these guns apart and put them back together and they all run the same. Oh, totally. It does not matter. Uh, John Snow, <laughs> John Snow had one just like mine, but a different barrel. He had, he had a newer one, but he had an ASR as well. We were within a, yep. ten, a tenth of each other the entire time. And, and, you know, one day he's shooting a little better and paying more attention than I am. The next day I'm doing more video and I shoot a little better. And the next day, you know, Tom shoots a little better with his. I think Tom might have had an SR. Um, Scott had the ATX. 
I think John and I had the ASRs, and I think Beckstrand had an SR, if I'm not mistaken. Um, One of the new guys. Yeah, because his was black, so um, I think it was an SR. Yep. I, th- I think John is uh, keeping his gun. He's going to bring it to ELR as well. He's yeah, gonna I'm going to shoot that gun at Scott Satterley's match. Yep, I'm sitting on this one for a little while. I'll, I'm going to play with it. And then, of course, we were all running Thunder Beast suppressors, the Ultra SR suppressors. Dude, when we got moved away from other people, we weren't even wearing Air Pro, man. We, we had, like, foamies in. The Thunder Beast cans. Here we are shooting 300 Norma, and I don't even have airs in. It's amazing. Ray and those guys have done an unbelievable job with those cans, it, <laughs> especially on the big guns. They just shine on those big guns. They really do. I mean, in, in like I said, we first and second rounded so many targets. We, I mean, even Corey was saying just class overall how peppered the targets were, and we just beat the snot out of those targets so bad. <laughs> um, how much nicer is it to, to shoot those big guns with those big Thunderbeast cans on it. Well, it's such a pleasant experience. I mean, the the, the big you know? the big thirty is no big deal, man. The, nope. uh, I mean, I'm shooting a thirty cal, and you, and you offline you had asked me a question about three thirty eight versus the three hundred Norma, and I still like the three thirty eight in two fifties, but the three hundred uh, Norma just rock stars. I mean, it's so inherently accurate. It's it's a pleasure to shoot. The speeds are there. And you know what it does? It responds. So, you, 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 you like your software, you don't fight your software because everything's working the way it's supposed to. The scopes are doing what they're supposed to because that stuff's, you know. And it's just like, there's my target. I know what my wind is. And I'm like you said, I know I'm going to hit it. Yep. It really is amazing. Now, every time I take these guns out to shoot, it's it just boggles my mind how accurate they are and the things that you can hit with them at extended range. You know, even being small stuff at 500, two-inch targets, shooting a dasher out of the ATX or shooting a mile with a 300 Norma. You know, I I remember the first class I came down to rifles only, I shot a 1,000 yards, and that was like the holy grail. You know, to hit a target at 1,000 yards was something hardly anybody ever got to do. And now I know I'm hitting that big ass ipsic at a thousand yards. Yeah, that's no problem. <laughs> right, right. I mean, they. they I tell that that the, the AI is the holy grail platform for me. I'm still a super fan and get giddy and silly with it. You know, <laughs> I get off the gun after we we shot. Um, we did one run. It was like a, a max of ten shots, five targets, and I I five targets out to like sixteen hundred meter. And I'm coming back with eight rounds in my pocket. Or not eight rounds. Right I take that back. I mean, with, with two rounds in my pocket. You know what I mean? I'm, I, I, yeah. It's like you got these tricky conditions. I'm hitting, I'm hitting them all with eight rounds. And it's like, dude, how do you beat that? It's like I, I, I'm not running back for more ammo. I'm coming back with extra. Yep. It's, it's really uh, amazing what they're capable of. And it, it makes me excited to see what the future's coming up with. I think that the the software has brought us a long ways because, you know, the the guns and the barrels have, you know, come a long way in the last 15, 20 years. You know, we're not, we're not looking for these one-off barrels anymore. Bartline and all of these gun ma- these uh, barrel makers are putting out 
perfect barrel after perfect barrel. Yeah. And the gunsmiths are using CNC machines to chamber them. So they're perfect. You know, we've taken a lot of variables out of the equation. And it's just, it boggles my mind. It really does how great they are. Yeah, yeah. Just so for those listening, I actually did record two podcasts. I did two hours on the ride home. And I kind of went a little like left field on one of them. So I'm going to reboil it down for you. Like I said, I just got my furniture last night. This is like the first time my computer's been sitting on a desk in probably two weeks. Um, so I'm just getting that worked in. But I got a ton of content. I was looking before you called. I have like my camera with all my photographs. But my office hasn't been moved 100% yet. So I don't have the damn card reader i'm trying to read them i'm like going through every card reader i have and it's like that doesn't work that doesn't work because i use these c fast and c fast twos for my video and i'm like i'm like god damn it this doesn't work this doesn't work what the frig but i have a ton of content we we shot tons of video we shot a bunch of stills we'll have a bunch of stuff from the gun site trip i do have it written down I'm going to redo the podcast. I listened to both of what I did and I'll just boil them down and make them sound better. Um, but I, you know, like I said, it was such a great trip. I really appreciate uh, AI inviting me and in, in doing that. And like I said, I am such a fanboy when it comes to AI. It, it's like schoolgirl stuff, man. You go and you hit this and you're giggling. It's like, Scott, I'm still giggling, man. I tell you what, the, uh, the ATX out of the Hunter match got a lot of attention. I think it was partly because people couldn't believe that it got under the 16-pound weight limit and partly because they haven't seen one in person yet. You know, they've seen them on, you know, when we did the release and stuff like that. But, boy, it got a lot of looks and a lot of attention out there. I'm telling you. And it's funny, too, because when we were at the at Arizona there, uh, we were out one night and Scott goes, hey, you want to see your ATX? And I'm like, absolutely I do. And he showed me like a plain bar stock sitting on the machine. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, it'll be ready soon. Yeah, you know, I know, I, I know. But it was, it was just a piece of bar stock on the machine. And he goes, in three minutes, it'll look like this. And he, <laughs> So that yeah, was... So for everybody out there, they are making them, and they are coming. I've seen pictures. I've seen videos. Yes. They're in production. No, I. they are. Totally, they are. They're coming. I, you know, like I said, I've just been so crazy the last couple of days. Um just running around nuts and stuff, but I'm so looking forward to like jumping into the, uh, into the ATX, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to shoot that rifle. It's a, it's a great platform. I, uh, I'm going to do some more, uh, tweaking of my setup and, uh, we're going to take it back out to another hunter finale and to a competition dynamics match. And I think I'm actually going to take my hunter gun set up for a hunter match to a PRS match. Nice. And just see how it stacks up as a 6.5 and a 16-pound gun. That's awesome. Well, hey, man, I'm keeping, I'm on that. We're at 55 here. We're close to the hour. So um, plug whatever you guys got to plug and where you're going some more, and, and we'll wrap this guy up and let you go. I, I still got a little bit of weather in there. I can hear a little bit of it happening, but you were clear for a while. But um, Yeah, we've, we've got some uh, storms rolling through here. So we're going to be, uh, our next match that the team's going to head to is going to be the ELR match out at uh, Wyoming at, for Scott Satterley's Night Force ELR match. And uh, we're going to have the AXSRs and the ATX out there and then uh, the Hunter uh, Championship. 
uh, I'll be shooting that. And then the competition dynamics match at the in December, I'm going to run the ATX out there at that match as well. So we'll, if you want to check out the ATX, find me at any one of those, and we'll get you behind it and let you shoot it. Nice, nice. Well, I appreciate you you reaching out um and, and coming on the podcast. This this keeps me from actually having to do some work while I'm I'm filling in the blanks on my empty house here. Although, like I said, I got furniture last night, so I actually could sleep here now. So that's exciting. That is exciting. <laughs> All righty, so. man. I, I appreciate you guys coming in and in, in talking about this stuff. Uh, to everybody out there, thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. Sorry I've been MIA. It, it is what it is, man. Life gets in the way sometimes. Um, but once I'm ready to roll, uh, once I get back from, I got, a, I got a course this weekend, and then I got Price Utah. Once I get back from that, dudes, we'll, we'll be ready to rock and roll. And we got some new stuff to spill for you guys, some things that are happening on this end that we're putting in place. But, uh, John, thanks for coming on, man. Thanks for uh, being around as long as you have and, and, and coming down the rifles only, coming out here, going over there, and being part of Team AI, man. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a, it was a dream of mine, so <laughs> I'm living the dream. There you go, man. There you go. Hey, stay on the line. I'm going to do the outro music, and then we'll, we'll head off from there. All right, dude? Will do. Thank you, Frank. All right, later.